2: No wins in their last nine games, no goals from open play in 13 and a half hours of football, no direction, no desire, no more Steve Bruce, say the Newcastle fans. Who am I talking about? Of course, it's the Magpies. More misery for them last night, this time in North London as Arsenal comfortably beat the Toon 3-0 at the Emirates Stadium. What next for those dejected Newcastle supporters? We'll discuss the fallout from last night's Premier League action, as well as taking a look at tonight's offering. It's West Ham versus West Brom for starters, as Big Sam looks to build on the Baggies' first win last time out against his former club. And for the main course, it's Leicester against Chelsea, but who'll come away from that one with a belly full of points? frank lampard feeling the heat at stanford bridge brendan rogers with a chance to top the table welcome to football social daily your lockdown listen when it comes to premier league news and views with a new show every single day of the top flight season i'm niall mccorn and serving up their opinions today we've got jim salverson all right jim you're right now what's for dessert uh, for dessert we've got Stefan Armstrong. How you doing, Steph? <laughs> Ooh, tasty. <laughs> Delightful, slightly sexual. <laughs> what is your favourite dessert, Steph, actually? It's a question I never thought I'd ever ask you, but go on. Um, I quite fancy myself as a tiramisu kind of guy. Okay. I don't know why, but I think because you're a bit of a touch of the old school on this podcast, I've just fancied you as a sort of sticky toffee pudding or something like that. Well, um,
3: as a half German, half Scottish person, they don't really have very good desserts. I mean, german I don't even know what Germans eat for dessert. Black Forest Ghetto? Oh, I'm not sure about that, Jim. I think thats Is that American just because it's got Black
2: Forest in the name? <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. If it was German? And Scottish
3: people probably bloody... Grit or porridge or whatever. You know what I mean? Nobody's interested in that. that Grit and (laughs) Yeah, that explains a lot if they are eating
2: grit for dessert. Anyway, enough dessert chat. Time to talk about Premier League action. Arsenal versus Newcastle was what was served up to us last night. Newcastle fans would say they were served up utter tripe once again. That was the words of Gary Neville on Sky Sports. The Magpies lost 3-0 in North London to Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. I've written down here in my notes, Jim, Newcastle are the worst side in the Premier League. What do you think?
4: I don't think you're too far off with that assessment, to be honest with you. And watching Newcastle last night, for the first time, I was really worried about them. I don't think I've watched Newcastle games that much this season other than the odd highlight here and there. But seeing them play a full 90 minutes against Arsenal, and there's no shame in losing to Arsenal. They've really found their feet recently. They're much improved on the team that we were saying were relegation candidates before Christmas. There's no shame in losing to that Arsenal team. But I think what there is shame in was the complete lack of ideas that Steve Bruce's team seemed to have. He said before the match, Steve Bruce said he was going to do it his way. And there was a slightly different formation. They played... 4-4-2 442 instead of 541 or whatever it is they normally play but there was no difference in attitude it was a horrible defensive display that just completely lacked any kind of creativity or any kind of forward momentum on the few chances that Newcastle did get forward they seemed to just capitulate and just panic almost and not have any idea where to put the ball it would end up going out to Andy Carroll he'd slow the game down and arsenal would be able to get back in numbers and defend and i think that comes from the training ground but i mean whether they're the worst team in the premier league at the moment i think they're certainly the worst team in terms of form and i think what's really worrying for newcastle is a few of those teams below them and i think of like the likes of fulham for example are beginning to adapt are beginning to improve and are beginning to pick up points so yeah worry about Newcastle because they are getting perilously close to being sucked into a relegation battle if they're not there already.
2: And Marley Anderson is probably perilously close (laughs) to jumping off the top of a multi-story car park (laughs) if things continue the way they are for Newcastle. I know you're not a huge stats fan, Steph, but here are some for you. Some of them I mentioned just in the intro there. No wins in Newcastle's last nine games. One goal from open play in 13 and a half hours of football. Seven first halves this season without registering a shot on target. They're 19th in the Premier League for the most shots, 18th for shots on target, 18th for chances created, 19th for touches in the opposition box. The worst team in the league for the amount of possession that they have. They faced the the second most shots in the league. They're 19th for that and 18th for shots on target face too. And 20th for passion too. Like, And I mean that
3: in a way, both from in terms of players like... Last night it was it was almost like watching an under fives game where you've you've got eleven players chasing the ball and it, it just seemed disjointed and all over the place to be honest and that's difficult to do against mm-hmm. a team like Arsenal who yeah have had a bit of an upturn in form but have still got their own struggles as well but I also mean twentieth in terms of passion is in like I feel like Newcastle fans don't give their manager a break the the club is run very badly, ask any Newcastle fan ask Ask Marley, I'm actually a little bit disappointed that Marley isn't on the podcast this morning because I'd quite, I'd quite like to have heard him really hit rock bottom you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, after, after after losing to Chef United last week, I'm I'm pretty sure he was close to it. But today yeah. he would have been definitely there. And that if would have been. If anyone nice in the Greater
2: it. Manchester area heard a funny thud at about ten o'clock last night, then that was Marley Anderson hitting rock bottom. I think. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone has
4: anyone checked on him this morning? No, I <laughs> actually a good haven't. Point. We should send him a message.
3: Uh, best leaving him, but but. Honestly, I just, there's, there seems to be no passion from any sector of the club, whether you're talking about hierarchy, whether you're talking about players, or whether you're talking about fans. And I, I only ever hear Newcastle fans moan and moan and moan and moan about the team. And obviously, it's not great They've at football.
2: They've got a reason to. That, yeah, they, they have
3: got reason to. It's not great football. But it's, the whole thing just smells of tragedy. And and I think it comes from all parties involved in Newcastle. And that's that's sad because I remember Newcastle being a good team. And mm. you know what? They, they haven't for a long, long time. And if mm. it continues like this, um, especially just the way they were set up last night, it felt it felt awkward. It didn't feel good to watch. Yeah. Uh, they, they they are probably going to be involved in a relegation fight.
4: Do you, know what I, what, do you know what I really worry about about Newcastle and what concerns me? And like you say, Steph, they're getting towards that point of being, if they're not already involved in a relegation fight, they will be there soon, is what do you do? How do you fix the problem? Because traditionally, if you're a team like Newcastle, in fifth, hemorrhaging points, you go, let's bring in someone reliable. Let's bring in someone solid. Let's bring in a Steve Bruce. That's Steve Bruce, yeah. Yeah, like one of those defensive managers. But they now haven't got the time to bring in someone like I don't know, it won't be Eddie Howe, because I think he's got a he looks like Why he's don't go they have seltzer? the time?
2: We've only just reached the halfway point. And this is the thing, I think, the argument that's being made here about Steve Bruce. I said when he was appointed that I think the game's passed him by. I think we've seen managers like Scott Parker at Fulham, for example, someone you pinpointed a moment ago, who is a very young and inexperienced manager in comparison to Steve Bruce. But what he's doing with his Fulham side is is working better than what Steve Bruce is doing with his Newcastle side. And I think you could argue that Newcastle probably on the whole have equally as good or if not better players than Fulham. But I think, So I mean, where's, I think... where's the argument there? I mean, you look at Newcastle United and being spoken about um, the fact that they haven't had enjoyable football for a long time. In 2011-2012, they finished fifth in the Premier League. Who was the manager? Alan Pardew was the manager. And they had Demba Ba and Papi Siso who's banging in goals for them. They had Johan Kabay in the midfield, Coloccini at the back. Mm. They had a solid Premier League side, and they finished. They exceeded expectations. Let's not, you know, be be around the bush here. They definitely um, finished higher than they ever expected to that season by getting fifth. And what happened then? Alan Pardew was rewarded with something ridiculous, like an eight-year contract. Gambling <laughs> debts. You have, yeah, exactly. You have to look at the top of the tree when it comes to Newcastle. And I know we always talk about the ownership and the hierarchy, but let's face it, Steve Bruce isn't going anywhere, is he? They're not going to sack him. But how long does he have left Jim before they don't have a choice but to make a change? Because it is clear and obvious for the whole wider Premier League to see that Newcastle are dropping like a stone and it feels Mm. like their luck has run out they would kind of get points from scraping late draws or a late penalty or something like that I remember a few instances over the last maybe 12 months where they've had not get out of jail free cards I don't think that's fair but certainly sort of smash and grab points and you know Steve Bruce I think that that's what he's been hanging on to the coattails of, those late results. And people say, oh, you know, we look at points. Gary Neville did this last night on Sky. Oh, Steve Bruce in his first season got 44 points and Benitez got 45. So there's only a points difference between them. I mean, but luck is a factor. And I do think that there needs to be a change at some point I mean whether that's upstairs in the boardroom which seems extremely unlikely or at manager level uh, how long can this carry on for because we've already got a, a 1,000 strong supporter group called Tune for Change calling for Steve Bruce to be sacked and I think there's probably more than 1,000 fans out there calling for it That's part of the problem having these gangs tuned for Change
3: and all that that's annoying do you not know think?
4: I think it's the way it's, it's, I mean realistically nowadays it's it has very little effect doesn't it? that you get these groups getting together. It's like at West Ham, the Gold, Brady, Sullivan, out groups that were protesting outside the ground when we were allowed to attend games in whatnot. It's going to ultimately have very little impact in what happens at the football club. But it's just a way for fans to feel like they're involved. The only time we've seen it recently have effect was actually at Liverpool when they had the mass protests about season ticket prices, season ticket price hikes.
2: But yeah, it 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 doesn't really have much impact at the end of the day. I think if we talk solely about managers, Jim, you think about West Ham and the protests against the ownership. You're absolutely right. But the West Ham owners aren't afraid to make a change. Newcastle don't sack their managers. They just don't do it. Uh, They wait until it's too late. Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley wait until it's too late. I mean, West Ham United flirted with relegation last season. However, since Avram Grant took them down in 2010, I think it was, or 2011, they've not been relegated since. Mm. Newcastle United have been relegated twice. In the last 10, 11 years, that's not good enough for a club like that.
4: It is surprising considering how important Premier League retention is to Mike Ashley and his business plans. We know that his primary objective, his only objective being chairman of Newcastle United is to remain in the Premier League. So it is surprising that he lets it get to that point where the team are relegated before making changes. But I come back Mm. to what I said before. If you are Newcastle United chairman, you want to keep Newcastle in the Premier League. I don't know who you bring in that can make a change because I think when you bring in a progressive manager you bring in someone like a Graham Potter or an Eddie Howe or a Scott Parker they tend to need a little bit of time a little bit of settling in time in order to adapt their game and change the style of play you want a manager who has an, an instant impact and plays ugly football but ultimately gets your players running harder they are playing ugly football more they're playing terrible football I mean I mean exactly y- so what, what what difference does it make someone else coming in to play uglier uh, football that makes I don't them, think you need I, mean, I
2: don't maybe you don't need someone I mean is that not just a massive cliche that you need an ugly tub-thumping manager to come in to keep you up in the Premier League I mean is that is that really want, accurate it, now in the modern game yeah if,
4: I think if you want instant change if you want instant change and instant impact that is what you need because I but think they're it, the
2: worst in the league for all of these categories Jim shots they're 19th shots on target 18th chances created 18th possession 20th surely someone else can do a better job than Steve Bruce they can't get any worse So surely you can roll the dice and bring in an Eddie Howe or someone like that. Because let's face it, Bruce is doing so badly with what he's got. Does it really matter? I mean, people are saying that you you don't have to replace Steve Bruce with someone who's even more Route 1 than Steve Bruce. Mm. Newcastle fans just want someone who's going to make them play better football. And if they do play better football, they'll stay up because they're bottom of the charts pretty much in all of these statistics. So all they need is a manager to come in and give them a little bit more tactical quality and ability and they should be okay because if you look at their players i mean it's a horrible saying that they're too good to go down because they're not because they've been awful but if you look at their players on paper whatever that means they do have better players than other teams around them in the bottom of the table Mm. so i just don't understand the argument about "Oh, why would you get rid of steve bruce if you can't get anyone better i think they can get someone better even if they're as inexperienced as scott parker Surely they can do a better job than what Bruce is doing.
4: I, I, I do kind of get your point and I, I, I like. If I was Eddie Howe and
3: I was sat on the sofa right now and my phone was going off and I saw Mike Ashley flick up, I'd just turn my
4: phone upside down. <laughs> just let it's it very go. true. It's kind of a, an issue of who wants that gig as well. I think a lot of Newcastle survival is going to be more to do with, less to do with what they do and more to do with what Brighton, Burnley, Fulham and West Brom do Indeed. and whether they don't improve their form. But on the face of it at the moment, you'd fancy Brian, Burnley, Fulham and West Brom yep. all to outperform West all to outperform Newcastle in the coming weeks.
2: Absolutely. We'll talk about West Brom a little bit later, but let's leave Newcastle on the shelf for now and talk about their opponents from last night. Arsenal, good win for them, 3-0. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with two goals, Stefan. Is this a kick up the backside that he needed? Gary Lineker tweeted last night saying, uh, form is temporary, class is permanent. Do you think it's a case of that with Aubameyang? Um
3: Kind of, yeah, but I also think he's getting a bit uh, of more delivery than what he's been getting. Obviously, his, his first goal was all down to him. That was that was a stonking goal. But uh, in terms <laughs> of Saka kind of uh, connecting nicely with him, Cedric too, um, he's, he's kind of getting a bit more. He's less of a one-man uh, band now, um, which is probably why Arsenal are, are slowly climbing up the league and towards a league position where you probably expect them to hang around now for the rest of the season.
2: I mean, that's... Probably kind of encapsulated in what we saw last night in terms of you know, when you are in a bad patch of form, nothing's going for you. Because he had that moment, Steph, didn't he, when he was pretty much in front of an open goal and he took the shot on with his left foot and it hit the post. Mm. From I know it was a tight angle, it's the only thing going in his defence, really. But he should have scored an open goal. I mean, if Arsenal didn't get anything out of the game last night and Bamiang's missed an open goal and hit the post and scuffed a couple of chances. I mean, it just says it all about someone who's probably a little bit low on confidence. But scoring two goals, it seems like the tonic that would have been required. And they'll be hoping he can go on a scoring streak now. Oh,
3: 100%. I mean, how how long did Arsenal go without scoring a goal full stop? I mean, it, it was quite a while. So so for Aubameyang to be scoring two goals in a single game, for him to to keep a clean sheet and win 3-0, uh, albeit against Newcastle, we've spoken about just then, um, that's a great night for Arsenal, isn't it? And yeah, it, it seemed like they're nothing, nothing but positives for Arsenal last night. As I say, it just the team just seemed to click a little bit more um, and they, they were pretty quick, they were pretty sharp, pretty dynamic again. I don't know if that's more about Newcastle than Arsenal, but um, they looked like a, a decent enough side, uh, Arsenal last night.
2: Into the top half of the table as well, Jim, thanks to two of the young academy graduates, Emil Smith-Rowe, but I want to focus on Bukayo Saka, who... You know, as good as Emil Smith-Rowe has been, Saka's over a year younger than Emil Smith-Rowe and everyone's kind of been singing his praises. He was very good again last night. He's improved mm-hmm. even more in w- recent weeks, linked up well with Aubameyang, as Stefan says. Just how good do you think he can be? Because Arteta's shown plenty of faith in him. He's already racked up 65 appearances for the Arsenal first team at such a tender
0: age.
4: It's amazing that he's so young, really, isn't it? You forget how young he is, considering he is playing so regularly in that Arsenal team. And I think we're going to see more and more of Smith Rowe now. I mean, he's a relatively new addition, but he's already contributing so much in these games that we're clearly going to see him playing well into the future as well. But as for Saka, I think he's a breath of fresh air. He looks like a real talent. And it's not just his assists and his goals that he contributes to that team. It's his ability to link the play up and to pick the ball up deep in his own half and really drive forward into the opponent's halves and kind of create that space and create those opportunities that I think is really impressive and it's great news for Arsenal who have this burgeoning young academy prospect coming through and he's one of a few in the Arsenal team but also it's great news for England because I think Saka's looking like he could be a England regular well into the future.
2: Yeah 100% think that Bukayo Saka has got an excellent future ahead of him looking forward to uh, to seeing what he delivers looking forward to how Arsenal go actually for the rest uh, of the season now we've crossed the halfway point people will say You know, Arsenal have had a bad season but with the way things are going in the Premier League they're still pretty close to those Europa League spots despite the fact that they've had a poor season and, you know, with half the campaign just about to go um, who knows where they could finish up Anyway, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily but more Premier League action to discuss West Ham take on West Brom tonight and we'll talk about that game after this
0: Football Social Daily Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily listen in lockdown when it comes to Premier League affairs. And there are two games tonight on the agenda, starting at the London Stadium where West Ham United play West Bromwich Albion. I mean, West Ham are still without a striker, Jim. I mean, you've seen West Ham play much better this season. They're your side and, and you know, you've probably seen them over the years, have better teams than this, but actually be in worse positions in the table. So even without a striker, they've shown that in recent games they are able to somehow steal a goal here, grind out a result there. Can they be confident against the West Brom side tonight who have actually conceded the most goals in the Premier League this season?
4: I think, firstly, you can never rule out a Sam Allardyce team for grabbing a win, can you? But from a West Ham point of view what we saw against Burnley in the last match is they don't really have a problem creating chances but converting those chances is still a little bit of an issue and as good as Antonio is up front and he is back fit, inverted commas at the moment, he isn't that natural finisher so credit to the team for the chances that are being created that Antonio has bagged so many this season and credit to the team as well that there are goals coming from elsewhere we've got Suchek who's leading scorer for West Ham at the moment as a defensive midfielder so we're scoring a lot of goals from set pieces it's not all going down to the striker but it is a team that desperately needs a focal point at the moment and definitely desperately needs a striker to come in and be recruited to provide those goals and without that it's going to be a problem for the future it might not be an issue against West Brom because I think I think probably most of the goals for both teams in that game are going to come from set pieces because they're mm. big lumps of teams. So we're going to see a lot of balls into the box. We're going to see a lot of free kicks being floated in. So that's where the goals are going to come from in tonight's match, I think. But certainly for the future, West Ham desperately need some bodies and they desperately need a striker.
2: But even in your tone of voice, Jim, it feels like these are the sort of games that you would have been absolutely bricking it about last season when West Ham were close to the bottom. But you Mm. certainly sound like you've got a little bit more confidence now. I mean, like you say, you can never rule out a West Ham capitulation because it's West Ham United. (laughs) But certainly it feels like you've got a little bit more confidence about you going into these games against the sort of struggling clubs. Whereas Mm. last campaign, these would have been real cause for concern. I'll
4: tell you what. I think there's a strange feeling I have going into tonight's game, and I think it's actually I'm quite excited to watch West Ham play football, which I don't remember ever feeling <laughs> before. Certainly not for a long time. And I don't know whether I don't know whether it's the lockdown boredom and that I've just got absolutely nothing else to do midweek. So the idea of a little midweek game of football's <laughs> good, and it's given me a bit of optimism. But I mean, actually, West Ham are decent at the moment. There's some exciting players on the pitch. Results have been better. And in recent weeks, we've got a lot of 1-0s and draws that have kind of been ground out a little bit. But it's felt like there has been progression in those results as well. And it feels like, actually, for the first time in a long time, West Ham are moving in the right direction on the pitch. It's a very strange feeling. Off the pitch, completely different matter. Still a shambles. But on the pitch, there does feel like there is some progression there. So, yeah, I'm going into this game pretty confident, even though it's Sam Allardyce and... I've just got that little feeling that Sam Adelaide returning to West Ham with West Brom. He'll be so desperate for a win to prove his doubters wrong as he has done many times before. I've got a feeling it might not quite go West Ham's way, but I'm actually relatively optimistic already this season about where we're going to finish and where those points are going to come from.
2: Write it down, 19th of January, 2021. Jim Salverson actually excited (laughs) to watch West Ham United play a game of football. Unbelievable. Anyway, the opponents, West Brom, they'll be absolutely bouncing, Stefan, because they obviously beat Wolves in the Black Country derby at the weekend. I thought that was a really good game, actually, Um, particularly as a neutral watching that. It's the first derby um, in the Premier League between Wolves and West Brom since 2012. An exciting game that finished 3-2. And Big Sam got the result in the end. He ended up getting his first win, as West Brom manager. Now, if there's one thing that's going to kickstart you into a a run to keep you in the Premier League if you're a West Brom fan, it's beating your biggest rivals in a derby match, in a close game, and it's your brand new manager getting his first win. I mean, you know, things kind of worked out really well for them at the weekend.
3: Yeah, it was a huge result. Um, And they they were clinical. I know the two two of the goals were penalties, but they they took their chances and they they held on, which is massive. My my worry for West Brom is that... um, they let in an awful lot of goals. Big Sam is known as being being the the inventor of park for bus, and um, and he's still not managed to to bring that into West Brom's game. Uh, mm. they, they they let in consistently two, three, four goals a game, um, and the problem with West Brom is I don't usually feel confident when they when they've not got penalties anyway. Um, I'm, I'm not usually confident of them scoring more than one goal a game. So. That that's why tonight is kind of a, a bit of an interesting duel because you're very very leaky defence, which uh, Sam hasn't um, quite uh, uh, tuned up yet, and you've got West Ham who have only got one ish striker in Mikel Antonio. So it will be interesting. I think I think it's got I think it's got a 0-0 draw written all over it.
2: Well, West Ham and West Brom in the hunt for new players in the January transfer window. Uh, some interesting reports coming out of the continent, actually, about possible signings, including a new striker for West Ham from Sevilla uh, and a new Turkish midfielder, possibly, for West Brom at Jalbin. you can check out those two reports on the sport-social.co.uk website, where we've got loads of transfer news on there from all 20 Premier League clubs. So go and check that before out. Before we move
4: on, before we move on, I just want to say something on West Ham's transfer strategy okay go on <laughs> and I, I use the word strategy very sparingly because I'm not sure it's the right word to describe how West Ham work <laughs> in the transfer market at the moment because I find it absolutely unbelievable we've said it about three times in the last 10 minutes West Ham have one fit striker and he's not even a striker he's a converted winger that happens to be playing up front and playing quite well at the moment but the idea that West Ham sold Sebastiano earlier on in the window and we're now 10 days left of the window and we haven't got a replacement in to what was already an unbelievably thin squad. I find if it wasn't West Ham, I'd say it was unbelievable, but I don't find it unbelievable because it happens again and again and again. Identical behaviour from the West Ham board every single window and somehow they get away with it. And you mentioned the severe target that we've got. He's one of a hundred names being linked with the club at the moment (laughs) with what appears to be a complete scattergun approach to just approaching every striker in Europe who's scored more than ten goals and then offering a transfer fee that is 50% of the value that the selling club expects. And then no transfer will come in. And at the end of the window, there'll be this message that's, oh, well, we tried to get a striker in from the board. Hey. Well, look, I'll tell you what, this isn't f***ing <laughs> primary school, boys. <laughs> You're not doing your best picture of a tree where effort's more important than output. It's a football club.
2: <laughs> and you oh, need amazing.
4: to be a bit more... You need to put in more than just face value effort. You need a scouting... Plan. You need a strategy, and that just seems to be completely lacking from a West Ham point of view. I actually... They need,
3: they need you, Jim Salverson They yeah. need you.
4: Go and give them a rock. I mean, I actually think David Moyes has put. A little bit of a positive spin on the way the club deals with transfers I think he's put a little bit more of a cautious approach I think to remember him saying when he was at Manchester United that he treats transfer funds like they were his own and I think he is desperate not to add to that list of 49 terrible strikers that <laughs> Golden Sullivan and it is actually 49 by the way that Golden Sullivan have bought in during their 11 years at the club so he's being a little bit cautious but it hasn't changed the club's approach the idea that we put Rumours out linking us with various European targets. Don't offer the transfer fee. And then at the end of the transfer window, pr- plead plead innocence. Kind of, oh, we put the effort in. We just didn't get it over the line. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for a club that should be punching far. They, they should have a much more strategical approach to transfers.
2: Well, somewhat ironically, Jim, well, it's 11 years today since Golden Sullivan completed their <laughs> West Ham takeover. Well. So if you could describe those 11 years in one word... What word would you use?
4: Disappointing, I think, would be a fair, a fair description. And I have to give Golden Sullivan credit because when they came into the football club, they saved the football club from financial disaster. If they hadn't come in and bought it, then there is a chance West Ham might not exist at the moment. So you have to give them that credit. The problem with them as owners is they've continually over-promised and continually made pledges that they have they had no intention, I believe, of fulfilling. That is the big disappointment.
2: Well, I'll make you a promise. There is transfer news on the sport-social.co.uk website. Woo! And we will fulfil that because we'll keep you updated right throughout the remainder of the January transfer window. Of course, 11 days to go. And I'm sure we'll see some more movement between now and then from our Premier League clubs. Time to talk about Leicester against Chelsea, which is the later kickoff tonight in the Premier League. Takes place at the King Power Stadium. Leicester's still in the title race, Stefan. But if Chelsea lose this... I mean, the pressure's already high on Frank Lampard. But if they end up on the wrong side of result here against Leicester, it just spells more doom and gloom for him, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, what a what a great game! This is I'm not I'm not going to be watching West Ham West Brom tonight. I'll be watching Leicester against Chelsea. Um, yeah, pressure's on for Frank. He's he's gonna he's gonna fall behind by. A good few, I think he's four points behind well, Tommy. They're
2: already seven points behind, aren't they? Already from top. So, I mean, you've got to think that Chelsea have been top of the league this season. So, if they're already seven points behind a lead which they've let slip over Christmas. Um, yeah, I mean, if they lose this and Leicester go top, which they can do, if they get the three points, then they're going to be even further uh, back in the I race. think in,
3: in general, Chelsea fans are quite understanding that... Uh, Chelsea is a work in progress. It's it's a very young team and it's the first year that a lot of these players have been playing together. Um, I know he's spent an awful lot of money, but I don't, I don't think none of them, I don't think any of them are expecting to win a title. I think a lot of them would expect to get into the Champions League at least. And I think that's the battle which Chelsea need to, to focus on. And to, to, to that point, they're only five points behind fourth place. Um, but, if if Leicester just keep on winning and winning and winning like they seem to be doing, what it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, they they were second, uh, now they're down to third. But I mean, if they can go top with a win tonight, it's it's unbelievable, really.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you say about Chelsea maybe not having expectations to win the title, but I would argue that those excuses for Lampard being a relatively young manager and having a bit of extra time being a club legend, I would argue that those excuses have kind of eroded away a little bit just purely because of the money that they spent in the summer. When you spend 200 million quid and sign two of the top talents from German football, surely you'd expect to be up there competing. If you finished in the top four the season before and you've spent all this money to strengthen your side, surely Chelsea fans do have a right to expect more from their side. I think
3: the problem is, apart from Thiago Silva, they've not really got anybody in that squad who, who is a, an out-and-out winner, who who's who been there and done it at the highest level and consistently. And that's 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 something that, that you need to kind of learn as a team and develop. So that, that's that's why I say the expectations aren't there. And I think Frank gets more heat than his team does. Um and that's that's mm. probably good management from Frank actually to take that pressure away from him a little bit. He'll 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 know what he wants to do with the team and the real pressure for Frank Lampard will be that third season. Um I still think I still think he'll be given a little bit of leeway this season, as long as they finish respectably and hopefully in the top four for them. Um they're a likable side and it's likable philosophy. And he has got a bit to learn as a manager with his temperament and, and the way he sometimes acts in and around the media. But on in general, I think I think he's kind of on track with where you'd expect to be. Next season will be the big one for him.
2: Mm. Jim, uh, do you think you were wrong about your title contenders prediction? Uh, Do you think you got suckered into the fact that Chelsea did all right last season and they spent a bit of money and they brought in some exciting players or do you still think that they're not out of it yet?
4: Well, I think when I picked, I think the question was that we were dealing with was make make an outrageous claim that might come true or something along those lines. So they were never nailed on to be competing. I think they were always outside bets. It's probably looking a little bit dicey. They really need to pick up form now if they are going to even get a Champions League place, let alone a... In the race for the title, so I think it. I think Steph kind of nailed it there. It just feels like it's a little bit early. And I've seen some rumours suggesting that if Chelsea lose tonight to Leicester, Lampard's going to get the sack, which I don't believe at all. I think there's a long term project at Chelsea, and I think Lampard is, in the club's eyes, the man to lead that project. I don't think he's done himself any shame at all in terms of the way he's approached games tactically this season. And and, as, and again, as Steph says, I think it's he seems to get a lot of the flack that maybe he doesn't always deserve. Chelsea have missed a lot of chances. I mean, Timo Werner's probably should have 10 more goals than he has got already this season. And if he puts them in the net, which you would be right in expecting him to do, evidence of the amount of teams that had him in their fancy football team at the beginning of the season suggests that people expected him to get goals and it just hasn't really happened for him. And I think you can say that across a fair few members of that Chelsea team. It's not quite happened for them. They're new to the Premier League. They need that time to adapt. So, yeah, this this season might be a little bit too early for Chelsea. But I think next season, we are going to see them compete. And there are signs of improvement every single week for Chelsea at the moment. It's just Mm. a lot of changes in a squad that need to bed in and just need to find their feet a little bit.
2: Well, Roman Abramovich, the Chelsea owner, has never been afraid to pull the trigger on a manager even the highest profile managers that Chelsea have had have somehow met their demise over the years I feel with Chelsea and I saw an article recently Steph that said that they've already drafted up five possible replacements for Frank Lampard now even though possibly we can't see him getting sacked even if they lose tonight it doesn't surprise me those sorts of reports at all because I think Chelsea have built that culture for themselves Uh, although it has been you know if you think back Antonio Conte, everyone knew that he was going. Everyone knew that Maurizio Sarri was going. We don't, I don't quite feel the same way about Lampard. Like You don't feel like you know he's going to leave at any particular point. But at the same time, as I said before, Chelsea have kind of built this narrative around themselves that they will sack you if you're not good enough.
3: It's an easy story to to publish, the uh, the old Chelsea manager getting sacked story. But I'll, I'll, I'll let you into something secret. My contact at Sky Italy, you know, the one who usually... Uh, puts the transfer rumours around. He's shown me that list of Roman Abramovich's, um of the five <laughs> managers that he wants to get in. And it's Avram Grant, Avram Grant, Avram Grant,
4: Avram Grant, <laughs> Avram Grant. I did hear that they wanted to bring in- <laughs> I did hear they wanted to bring in Avram Grant as like to assist <laughs> Frank Lampard bloody, like kind of help him in the and I, I,
2: I, get over Avram like, Grant why? get over him
3: honestly like no, yeah no, no, nobody had heard of him before he came to Chelsea and he's done very little since so uh, that's bizarre
2: I saw a great article about him as well where he looked bemused and like he'd won a competition that he couldn't believe his luck that he got to manage Chelsea, Portsmouth and West Ham in the Premier League of which two of those sides he took down to the championship Pompey and West Ham but there we go um <laughs> I've not a bad word to say about big Avram because he took us to the FA Cup semi final, <laughs> FA Cup final I should say. Have you have you
3: ever seen that clip of the um, the the, uh, the cleaner going in for the, an interview at the BBC and they mistake him yeah, for like yeah, a tech yeah, guru. Yeah. He ends up live on air and he's sat there panicking don't know what to do. That's who <laughs> Avram Grant is. If if you listen to this podcast and you yeah. don't know who he is, that's who he is. Um but uh, no nah, it's it's an easy story uh, to to print the old air uh, Chelsea uh, manager carousel. Mm. Um as, as Jim says, I, I don't think they're really going down that down that well, road. Well,
2: who wins this tonight then, boys? I'll start with you, Jim, because, I mean, if you look at the way that things are going for Leicester, although they've not been, um, you know, absolutely prolific, you think back to their game against Manchester City where they really sent out a statement by, by scoring five goals at the Etihad. Uh, they haven't been quite that... Uh, you know, exciting, I would argue, since then, but they've just managed to get the job done so, and against the Chelsea side who have completely gone mm. off the boil. so who do you fancy in this?
4: It's a weird one, isn't it, because here we are eighteen games into the season, and we're still talking about Leicester City being underdogs against playing Chelsea, despite them being six points above them and there was it, my Michael Sylvester gave an interview the other day, and he was talking about the three teams in the title race, and it was a little bit of a dig at Manchester City, but he said the three teams in the title race were Manchester United, Liverpool. And Leicester City, which I thought was quite funny at the time. But it kind of, it it gives you an idea of where Leicester City should be in terms of how we look at them. But for some reason, they aren't quite classed in the same category as Manchester United and Liverpool and Manchester City and even Chelsea, despite them being there in the table. And I think we fell into this trap a little bit in 2016, where no one believed they were going to win the trophy. Until it actually happened. Until we saw them holding the Premier League trophy aloft. No one believed it was going to happen. And it feels very different this year. It doesn't feel like 2016. In 2016 it was a load of players playing out of their skin at the same time. Having the season of their lives. It was like a freak incident. This season they've got a better team. They've got a better manager. They've got more ability. They've got more tactical nous. And it just feels like they have the ability to turn anyone over. So yeah, to answer your question... But Leicester City certainly aren't the underdogs going into this game. It is going to be a very tight game. And Brendan Rodgers is a manager who can change and adapt his style of play depending on who that opposition is. So I think they've got every chance of getting a result tonight. And certainly, if you look at the form of both teams, you'd, you'd fancy Leicester City.
2: Jim says a tight game, but just edging towards the side of Leicester City. What about you, Stefan?
3: Yeah, I'm on the fence because Brendan Rodgers never wins against Chelsea. Um, but you can't you can't deny that Leicester of a the form team uh, between the two of them. I think I think they've got a little bit more going forward, Leicester. Um, so because Chelsea haven't been scoring goals, we um, put three away against West Ham and Leeds. But apart from that, it's always been one goal a game, um, and I'm not sure that's enough uh,
2: to get a victory away from home um, at the King Power. So I can see Leicester. Okay, we'll wait and see what happens at the King Power Stadium tonight. Of course, we'll have full reaction of that game tomorrow, and a match report from the match too on our sport-social.co.uk website. You can also check it out on your Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker. All you need to do is ask your device to open Sports Social, and then ask it for a match preview for whatever game you fancy listening to. Time for another break here on Football Social Daily, but afterwards on the show we'll be talking about the latest Premier League transfer news.
0: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast.
2: I'm Niall, Jim and Stefan alongside me. It's time for the transfer section of Football Social Daily. We tend to do this pretty much every day throughout the month of January because there's always some juicy gossip to get our teeth stuck into. Now, we've just been discussing Leicester City against Chelsea, which is a game that takes place tonight in the top flight, but also transfer news around those two clubs as well is on the agenda. Uh, let's start with Leicester. And their player is Under, Jim, he's on loan from Roma. But this is an interesting story, I thought. And I thought it was worth talking about because it's something that we don't really discuss too much when it comes to transfers in the Premier League. So Leicester have Under on loan from Roma. There is an obligation to buy in the loan contract for €23 million. Euros. But that obligation to buy is only activated. The clause is only triggered if he plays a certain amount of games for Leicester. According to reports from Italy, he hasn't actually reached the required number of appearances just yet for Leicester to have to buy him for 23 million euros. He's only played 12 games this season in all competitions. He's not played any minutes in the Premier League since mid-December. You can check out the Sports Social website for more on this particular story. But do you think we've seen enough from him, considering the excitement when he arrived at the King Power, to convince Brendan Rodgers to go ahead with the deal play him for more games and shell out the £23 on him.
4: Brendan Rodgers, I think, said on several occasions that he's going to look at this one at the end of the season and I don't see why he should change his mind. And as you say, he's only made 12 appearances so far, so I don't know what that level is he needs to play in order to trigger that £23 million or million euro release clause, but I wouldn't have thought he's anywhere near it yet. He's been struggling with a couple of injuries this season, which has limited his playing time. So I think he's only 23. He needs a little bit of time to bed into the Premier League. And I think he just needs a bit more game time before we can make a shout on him. I mean, Leicester City fans seem to like him from what they've seen. I've not seen a massive amount of him. He's got a name that sounds like a countdown countdown conundrum. Uh, That's (laughs) that's pretty much my take on the whole thing. But I think with any player, particularly a young player, coming into the Premier League, they need time and they need game time to really get an honest idea of whether they're going to make it or not. And it doesn't feel like he's really had that. I don't like these um, obligation to buy type loan deals. I don't think they particularly work for anyone when a player's got a limited amount of time to prove himself. Yeah. Like I say, we know how long it takes someone to adapt to a Premier League, to the Premier League and the, the rigors of the Premier League. So when a player comes in, particularly from Italy, and instantly there's a clicking, to, a clicking click, clock to kind of add pressure onto him. I'm not sure it really works. And you end up, if you if you reach that game level and you've not quite proved yourself, you end up stuck mm. on the bench. So I'm not sure. It's, it's not the greatest deal for a young player coming into the Premier League. But yeah, we need to see more of him before we make an assessment. And I think it sounds like Brendan Rodgers is going to give him just that.
2: Well, the reports from Italy do claim that they feel Leicester will play him enough times this season in order to trigger that obligation to buy. But Brendan Rodgers does have the option, Stefan, to to almost try before you buy. He's seen him in 12 games this season, mainly in the Europa League. As I said, he's not played a Premier League minute since mid-December, and we've had a a chunk of games since then, a month later. So, you know, there's a chance that Brendan Rodgers could keep him in the shadows for a little bit and and keep him to the side and save that €23 million by just not playing him for the second half of the season and maybe reinvest that money elsewhere if he doesn't think he's the right fit for his club. Which I
3: probably would do if I was Brendan Rodgers. Because that's an awful lot of money, and that can that can take away from a decent transfer in the summer. Um, he started well though under uh, our, our pal Jamie Derry, the Leicester fan. He he absolutely mm. loved him, and for the first four or five games of the season, he was he he was raving about him. He's obviously had yeah. an injury, and he struggled to get back into the side. Um, so w- whether that deal with Roma is kind of. Uh, force Brendan Rodgers' hand a little bit and not putting him, put him back in the side when when he would have had an opportunity I'm not sure but in, in terms of the stats on paper here's a pun for you, he has been underwhelming
2: <laughs> and his Leicester, his Leicester future is under threat as well I suppose you can say um, <laughs> more on the sports social website as I say now let's flip it to Chelsea and more from the Italian press they love a good chance transfer rumour. Stefan absolutely loves the Italian press don't you Stefan? <laughs> uh,
3: I've, I've probably started this one, guys. Just saying.
2: <laughs> um, Fikai Tomori, the Chelsea centre-half. He's expected to move to AC Milan on a loan deal either today, maybe just after this podcast has finished recording, or tomorrow, Wednesday, the 20th of January. Um, since Thiago Silva arrived at Stamford Bridge, Jim, Tomori's been shoved down the pecking order. Uh, there is an option to buy in this loan deal. Not an obligation, but an option. Um, is that wise for... For Chelsea, considering that he is only 23 years old and he has shown flashes last season of how good he actually can be. But since Thiago Silva rocked up, as I said, he's not really had a look in.
4: I think it's a great idea for Chelsea, particularly as, as you say, there isn't the obligation to buy, there is the option to buy, which means if he goes over to Italy and absolutely smashes it, they can bring him back in and he's a year further on his, in his development. But game time is exactly what Tamori needs at the moment. We saw him last season putting in some really Good performances, And I think for me it's slightly baffling why his star has fallen so dramatically at Chelsea, why he is out of the picture. He hasn't even been making the bench on some occasions recently. So I don't know what's happened behind the scenes. There's been some suggestions that he and Lampard have fallen out, but I think that's just speculation because from what we've seen of Tomori he seems like a good kid. He seems to have the right attitude. And I think it just comes down to trust and experience. And if he can go to Italy and he can get that game time and he can prove that he does have the ability and he can make the right decisions, I think it could really work for him and he could come back to win his place back in the Chelsea team in the future. Because Thiago Silva has come in and he's been really impressive in the heart of that Chelsea defence. But ages against him he's got a lot of miles in those legs so they're going to be looking at the next generation soon and there's no reason why tamori can't be that next generation what i think slightly surprising is and we've talked about this before chelsea have had this characteristic through the years of playing two center backs almost like the master and the apprentice (laughs) one that's slightly older and one that's slightly younger and i i don't quite understand i think that would that for me I would have liked to see Tamori play more time with Silva, kind of Tamori to learn off Silva in that partnership. But obviously that isn't what Lampard wants to do. So they have to get in that experience elsewhere. So a loan move makes perfect sense.
2: It's an interesting one for me because if I was Tamori Stefan, I would be ticked off with Lampard because he played on loan at Derby under Lampard in Lampard's first season as a manager and was trusted heavily by Lampard. Played last season... At the heart of the defence, at least for a a large chunk of the season. And then towards the end of Project Restart, he he played a little bit less. So why all of a sudden is he being frozen out? I mean, this is someone who's shown faith in you as a player. I would be annoyed. I'd be like, Frank, what's going on, mate? Because you trusted me not six months ago to do a job in the heart of Chelsea's defence. And we finished in the top four. And now you're not interested in me whatsoever. Uh, Is it as simple as Thiago Silva turning up or does Jim possibly have a point that there might have been some behind the scenes antics perhaps
3: i think maybe some behind the scenes antics some some issues on quality and obviously tiago Silva coming tamori tamori um moved up from the youth ranks in 2016 so he's he's had almost five years of being a senior professional but we still kind of talk about him as a as a youth Mm. and he's he's 23 years old i mean that that's that's edging up towards your, your your peak years when you're 24, 25, 26, 27. I know it's a bit later for a defender, but I mean... 28,
2: 29, 30. 30, 30 31, 32. Hey, Jim, you've still got a chance, mate. I sound like Mark Lawrence? <laughs>
3: no, no, but on, honestly, like, you, you, you would think he would have established himself uh, by now. So maybe there's an issue of quality there. I know he's been shipped out on loan to Brighton, Hull, Derby. Um, So he's, he's done his time. Uh, in different places obviously Lampard's been the manager of Derby and played him an awful lot but may- maybe maybe he's just not seen enough of him in terms of that step up to the Premier League but that- that's one half of the issue I think the other half of the issue is that um, players like Tamori um, they're kind of a victim of the Chelsea system um, which is buy up every great young player uh, and kind of Kind of just you know stockpile them, send them out on loan, mm. and very few of them really come back as world beaters. Um, and you you see you see that happen quite a lot. I mean, there's question marks on on people like Hudson odoi they, they don't really get a lot of game time. Um uh I who uh, went out to Crystal Palace, he's been farmed out. You know, there's there's a lot of Chelsea players. Yeah, he's not even getting games. At exactly. Palace, there's either. a lot of there's a lot of Chelsea uh, young hopes who who kind of get put out in the wilderness. So that's kind of happened to, uh, to Mori. And interestingly, I think that's why a young player like Saka, it's it's great that he's in an Arsenal team where he'll get the chance at his home club and he can slowly you know, turn himself into the main man. If he was playing for Chelsea, he'd be out on loan at AC Milan and sat on the bench. Um, so it's yeah. a bit of a system.
2: Well, AC Milan isn't exactly a terrible place to... Uh... Get some first-team minutes, is it? The San Siro and AC are actually top of Serie A at the moment. It's been a while since they've been at the lofty heights of first place in the Italian top flight, but that is where they reside at the moment. So that one expected to be completed over the next 48 hours. Ficayo Tomori to AC Milan on loan from Chelsea. One Chelsea player who has completed a loan move away from the club already in the last 24 hours or so is Danny Drinkwater. Remember him? Um, he's definitely oh, no. fallen out of the fallen from grace, hasn't he? Um, he's joined Turkish side Kisan Pasha on a six-month loan deal. <laughs> Considering he won the Premier League with Leicester City in 2016, he's not played a Chelsea first-team game since the summer of 2018. What's happened to him? I
4: think it's a lesson in not buying a player who's a bit of a one-season wonder, isn't it? Is that unfair to call Danny Drinkwater a one-season wonder? Did he really do anything apart from that title-winning season with Leicester? And maybe that was more to do with the players that surrounded him than him
2: himself. Um, He's only played 12 Premier League games for Chelsea since he signed in 2017.
4: It's been a massive disappointment. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But he won't be the first player who's gone to Chelsea and never lived up to the hype. Steve Sidwell is one off the top of my head that I can think of instantly. But, I mean, I think without being too Graham Sooness about the whole thing, I think you've got to question his attitude slightly because he has had opportunities away from Chelsea. He's had loan periods and there have been incidents that have taken place during those loan periods, most recently with Burnley, that you you kind of question whether he has the right mentality and the right attitude to succeed. And some players do get that. They kind of get the Billy Big Bollocks thing when they get their big transfer move and then don't want to take the step down, don't want to have that building again that kind of rebuilding their reputation i do wonder whether there's an inkling of that about danny drinkwater but yeah he's got his move Mm. to turkey and a move to turkey always says twilight of your career doesn't it to a certain extent
2: well he's 30 years old and he's had issues in his personal life a couple of years ago he was banned for drink driving um he also got attacked outside a nightclub in Manchester where he's from, um, which resulted in him getting ankle ligament damage. I think a group of people, a group of assailants, let's just say, decided that they were going to go for his legs and um, that resulted in him
1: Mm.
2: getting some sort of nasty injuries to his ankle. And ever since then, it feels like he's never really recovered from that. Um, He was kind of not involved with Chelsea uh, probably from 2018 onwards since Frank Lampard took over as, as manager. Um, he hasn't really had a look-in either. He's been farmed out to Burnley and Aston Villa and now Kasim Pasha. Uh, does he have a future in the Premier League or is this the Premier League scrapyard in Turkey, as Jim suggests, Stefan?
3: Yeah, if you're an English player, don't move to Turkey. You're not, you're not going to find yourself um, back in a Premier League side. it will be at Stoke next year.
4: <laughs> if, you, if you go to Turkey and you absolutely smash it, if you're the best player in the Turkish Super League for a season... That doesn't necessarily mean Premier League clubs are going to come knocking at your door again and I think that says a lot the fact that he could go out there and he could smash it and it won't necessarily rebuild his reputation you go to Turkey for the money for the sunshine and the kebabs <laughs> you, don't, you don't go there <laughs> <It does sound laughs> good though doesn't it yeah it sounds fine <laughs> yeah. but you don't go there to rebuild your reputation and come back to a Premier League team
3: Danny Drinkwater strikes me as a guy who likes a kebab as well so what, what a move
2: <laughs> anyway that's it for our transfer roundup for today's Football Social Daily as I've said more on the sport-social.co.uk website but that's it for today Episode of the show. Thanks very much, Jim. Cheers. Nice one, Stefan.
3: Thanks, mate. I've got to go. Mike Ashley's calling
2: oh, me. Turn <laughs> your phone upside down. That's it for now. I'll speak <laughs> to you again tomorrow.
0: Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social
1: 18 plus.